all the people said, Amen. We'll get that mic adjusted, I'm sure. I'm getting feedback. I don't know whether you're hearing that or not. Okay, are we better? As I said earlier, I thank uh, our pastor for the privilege of sharing with you the gospel today, a word from Scripture that might be a challenge to us as a people of God. We are the Kahal Yahweh, you know. Uh, I could come oftentimes very concerned that people don't seem to understand the relationship that exists between what God had to say in the Old Testament and what he says in the New. God has never changed, the scripture said. And so whatever is reflected in one text of scripture, the new covenant or the old, must be the very same thing. So we want to look together today at an Old Testament word for the New Testament church. New Testament church and the Kahal Yahweh in the Old Testament are the very same thing. And we want to become the church at its very best. When Scott preached to, for us several years ago, uh, just uh, supplying the pulpit, uh, he made a statement that I quoted a number of times uh, during the process of our transition in search for a new pastor, the end result of which was Scott Hanbury uh, coming to this place to be our senior pastoral leader. Uh, but Scott said, we want to be the church at its best. And that's what we're seeking to do. So in order to do that, we want the truth of God as he encountered in Old and New Testament alike. Hand in hand, these two expressions of the covenant of God for his people, these two expressions say the very same thing. And so we look at one of the writings of what we call the minor prophets. They're not minor in the sense uh, of being less significant or less important than the major prophets. We call Isaiah and Jeremiah major prophets, Daniel major prophet, because they're lengthy. We refer to Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and these that make up the book of the 12 scrolls of God. We refer to them as the minor prophets because they are brief, they are short. So when we look at the prophecy of Haggai, we look at one of the shorter of those books, and we want to read chapter 2, beginning at verse 1 through verse 9. The scripture said on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, son of Jozadak, and to the remnant of the people who left, uh, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory. How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem like nothing to you? Even so. Haggai wrote, be strong, Zerubbabel, the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong 
all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work, for I am with you. The declaration of the Lord of hosts. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. For the Lord of hosts says this. Once more, for in a, in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all of the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver and gold belong to me, the decoration of the Lord of hosts. The final glory, he said, of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of hosts. I will provide peace in this place, the declaration of the Lord of hosts. When we think of the declaration of the prophet Haggai, I want to put things a bit in perspective for us. There were two prophetic leaders in Israel at this particular point in time. One was named Haggai. He was the old man. And the other one was named Zechariah, and he was the younger man. These two prophets together are challenged by God to lay down before the people the necessity of rebuilding the temple of God. They've been back now in the promised land some 14 years or better, and they started to rebuild the tabernacle, the temple of God, and once they saw that there was absolutely no way they were going to be able to build a temple that in any way would resemble the temple that they had known before the exile in Babylon, so they quit working. They just laid down their tools. They went back to their tasks. They had rebuilt their homes. They had rebuilt their businesses. They went back to doing the things they did every day, and for 14 years, they didn't do anything about rebuilding the temple of God. This spoke volumes to the world. The world understood that the God of Israel couldn't be very important. If he was very important, then the people of Israel would be busy rebuilding the temple. What God is trying to get Haggai and Zechariah to do in tandem as his prophetic leaders is to encourage the people to get back to the work, to rebuild the temple of God. Now, he said in the passage we just read, I understand that you have a problem with the fact that you can't build a temple that will appear in any sense to be as glorious as the one that had been built before by Solomon. God says, your problem is you're looking through the wrong glasses. Glory settles on the house of God because God dwells there. The glory isn't in marble. It's not in gold or silver or art graven by man's design. The glory settles on the people of God because of the presence of God. 
And what God said to Haggai, the old prophet, stirring up the older people, what God says is, you build the house, I'll provide the glory. And I want to guarantee you something God said. I want to guarantee you that the glory of that house will be far greater than the glory ever was of the old temple. Now, you and I have a tendency to want to leave that idea in the Old Testament. But we must understand that though Haggai probably did not understand the full implications of his message to the people, and Zechariah, a young man, certainly didn't, that they seem to need to hear from God what you and I need to hear today. And that is that the church has a far greater opportunity to make a real difference in our world than the temple and Judaism ever had. God is going to do a marvelous work and a wonder, according to the prophecy of Isaiah 29, verse 14. God's intent is to do in his house marvelous work and a wonder. God isn't in any way limited by structures that are physical in nature. God is limited only by hardened hearts of men. God wants us to become fully and completely his people, the Kahal Yahweh. When we look at the Old Testament and we try to design or define for ourselves what God is wanting us to understand about the church today as it compared to the temple of old. You and I need to remember there are several truths that we must keep in mind. The word of God is an everlasting word. It is a corporate word. The very first point in the message today belabors this truth. God is speaking to his people. He's speaking to all of his people. Now, he utilized two prophets to communicate the message because one need to stir up the younger folk and the other one need to stir up the interests and the commitments of the older people of God. In order to do that, he focuses attention upon the total people of God. When you and I think of the church, we think of the church as being the people. This is a building, 1508 Hardy Street, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. It's a building that's been here since the late 1950s. You and I need to understand that this is not the church. You're the church. This is a building in which we meet and blend our voices together, singing psalms of hymns and praise to the Lord. But this is just a physical place. God is interested in something that is far more expansive than that, something that is eternal in its significance and consequence. He is interested in the ecclesia. We want to think of ecclesia as being, and that's the Greek word for church in the New Testament, the people assembled together. But that's not where the meaning of the word ecclesia comes from. 
It didn't come from its Greek etymology. It comes from its Old Testament significance. In the Old Testament, the ecclesia is the synagogue. It is the synagogue in the Old Testament. It isn't the temple. The temple is a symbol. It's an expression of a commitment on the part of a people to the world that God is important. I told somebody just the other day, I said, you know, there may not be a lot of things you can do, and I was speaking to one of our older people, our senior adults. I said, there are a lot of limitations that we find ourselves facing today that we didn't face uh, back when we were younger. And we have a tendency to want to think that that exempts us from doing the things we can do. Not the case. It challenges us to do the things we can just to do them better than we ever have before because that's within reach. That is within grasp. We need to grab hold of what we can and we need to hang with it in our efforts. But in the process of that conversation, I said to this particular person, I said, you know, there are not a lot of things we can do. But I said, we can offer the testimony of attendance. If we don't have anything else to offer, we can be in our place at the appropriate time when it is important for us to say to the world, God means something special to me. I can't do a lot, but I want you to understand, world, that God is important to me. You may remember a story I told a year or two or three ago. A story about a man who, for what reason or another, I never knew. But he missed church one Sunday. Nobody said anything, and he missed church the next Sunday. On the third Sunday that he missed, always having been very faithful in his attendance, the pastor went to see him. Now, when the pastor knocked on his door in the middle of winter, he went to the door, welcomed his pastor, invited him in, pulled up a chair in front of the fire, where he had been sitting and let the pastor join him watching the wood burn in the fireplace. They sat there for a while, didn't say anything. And then the pastor took the poker and he reached into the fire and he pulled out a coal away from the main part of the fire. Let it sit there on the hearth and he and his absentee member watched it die. After they sat there a little while with that cold, dead cold sitting on the hearth, he took the poker and he pushed that coal back up into the fire. And when he did, it caught flame again. They sat there for a little while, nobody saying anything. The pastor said, 
I think I need to be going. And as the man showed him out of his living room onto the porch, he said, Pastor, I'll see you in church Sunday. Pastor never had to say a word. The message was clear. The people of God need what they get from one another. The warmth, the spirit, a sense of purpose and direction for life. An opportunity to declare to the world, God is important to us at Hardest Street Baptist Church. God is important. What I wanted to say is that Haggai, led of the Lord, said to the older people in the congregation of Israel, God is important. He's important enough for you to say to the world, we're not just going to pay attention to building our homes and our businesses. We want you to understand that we're going to build the temple of God. And so they did. You and I need to understand that the word from Haggai to the New Testament is a clear word. It's a word that says all the people count. All of those who compose the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, all of those who compose the body of Christ, whether it be arm or leg or foot or hand or whatever, all of them are important, and everybody has some responsibility for declaring to the world, God is important. It's a corporate word. I think secondarily, it is a personal word. It's very personal. What does the scripture say in Haggai chapter 2, verse 3? He said, ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? What he's saying, reminding them, what he's saying is that uh, you think that the glory of the former temple exceeds anything you can do. Truth of the matter be known. It did. But what God through Haggai is saying to the people in a personal way, the glory is when God inhabits his people. That's where the glory is. Not in a building, but it's in the church. It's in the Kahar Yahweh. It's in the people of God. You and I need to make sure that in truth we are the people of God. Jim Simbala, pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, on one particular Sunday had a strange feeling as they began the worship hour. Carol's wife, who led the Brooklyn Tabernacle choir, had led them in the singing of a hymn that was to introduce their time of worship, Mark. After they finished the first stanza of whatever it was they were singing, 
he approached the pulpit. And he started the service. The very first thing that he did was turn around to the man who just sang the solo for the choir, Calvin Hunt. And he said, Calvin, I want you to come and in just a moment share your personal testimony about how God redeemed you and God took you out of a destructive cocaine habit and gave you new opportunity for life. And Calvin came down and very quickly gave his testimony about the wonderful redemption of God. And then Jim Cimbala stepped to the pulpit and he gave a sermon about that long. And at the end of the sermon, he offered the invitation. And a young 19-year-old boy from way in the back, broken in spirit, worked his way down to the front of the church and gave his heart to Jesus. When they had finished the invitation time, Jim Simbala said to Carol's wife, let's back up now and do the part we hadn't done already. And so they went back to worship and they fulfilled or completed the service. Jim Simbala wondered why it was he was so impressed by the Spirit of God to do such a strange thing. And he couldn't figure it out until he got a letter about Thursday of that week from a man in Texas who had been in the service on Sunday with his 19-year-old son. He had flown his family to New York City for the purpose of taking his son to worship in Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. He hoped that somehow God might use what Jim Simbala had to say to touch the life of a son he had been unable to reach. He hadn't planned very well, and it looked like they were going to have to leave before the sermon and go to the airport, catch a plane back to Dallas. And he was sitting there kicking himself mentally for having made such a dumb mistake in scheduling when Jim Cimbala said, I don't know why I'm impressed to do this, but we're going to go ahead and have a brief sermon and the invitation. And they did. And it spoke to the heart of that young man. Then Jim Cimbala understood what it was God had in mind when he made him change the sermon around. You and I need to understand that God is aware of what our personal needs are. And he understood this. He said to the older folks who knew how the other temple looked because they were old enough to remember how it had been glorified in its luxury and beauty. And Haggai says to them, how many of you remember the old temple? Doesn't this foundation, bare foundation, doesn't it make you sad? In essence, this is what he said. Quit looking at this and quit remembering the other. Focus your attention 
God. This was the message Haggai was trying to get across. You and I need to understand that this message, too, was a commanding word from God. A number of years ago at Main Street Baptist Church in its old location, had opera singer Mel Hines give a testimony. He couldn't sing for us at Main Street Church because his contract with the University of Southern Mississippi forbid him to do that. He might sing, mess up his voice, and not be able to give his concert out at USM the next week. But he was willing to give his personal Christian testimony. I don't remember a great deal of what he said, but one thing I do remember, and I've never forgotten it, that point was clearly made by Mel Hines. He said, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something. God is not in the business of making suggestions, only of giving orders. Only of giving orders. What I'm trying to say is that Haggai understood, Zechariah did as well. And if you want to read the full story, you read both those prophetic writings. They understood that God was giving an order. His words were commands. What does the scripture say? It was a commanding word. He said, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. These are imperatives. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people. And work. And all of those are imperatives. Be strong, be strong, be strong, and work. Why? Because God will take care of the rest. God will provide the glory. It'll be his spirit settles on his people that inhabits his temple. And it will be more glorious in the end than it ever was in its beginning. We need to be reminded of that. God says, I want my glory to settle on my people. Hardest Street Baptist Church. I want to use you to change your world. That's what God intends. He said, and in that process, I want you to understand, glory won't be yours, the glory will be mine. The glory will be mine. And the very fourth thing that Haggai had in mind as God impressed him to write this brief prophetic account. He said, the word of God is a covenant word. It is a corporate word. It is a personal word. It is a commanding word. And it is a covenant word. What does it mean that God's commitment here is covenant? God made a promise to you. Mona and I stood over six years ago, Southside Baptist Church here in Hattiesburg, at the altar in front of our pastor, and made our commitments to one another.
never have changed that. I certainly have, I sure have disappointed her at times in that process. But we made a promise. We've never violated that promise. Don't intend to ever violate that promise. A covenant is a promise. An inviolable promise. God said to the people of Israel through Hosea and Zechariah, I made you a promise. You can hold me to it. What's that hymn say? Trust me, try me, prove me, saith the Lord of hosts. If I'll not open the windows of heaven, Malachi, if I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, you won't have room enough to contain it. We need to understand. God is as good as his word. God promised Party Street Baptist Church, I'll bring the glory. You just show up. Be in your place at the appropriate time. Available to me. I'll do the rest. I'll do the rest. God said we need to understand his word is a covenant agreement. God made a promise to his people. There are a lot of things that I would like to say about how do you get from where you are to where you hope one day to be. We don't have time to talk about all those things. But Haggai's message is as current today as the headlines on the Hattiesburg American. It is as truthful as it's ever been. God's word has been laid on the line and God wants you to match it with your word. Would you do that? Would you do that? Our Heavenly Father, bless us as we wait in your presence. We want to be the people of God here at Hardy Street Baptist Church. We want to follow the leadership of our pastor. We want to follow others who make up our leadership team. We pray, Father, you might help us to lift you up where the world sees you, not us. For we know the glory is yours. Father, I pray that you might bless any who are here who've never publicly professed their faith in Christ, perhaps like that 19-year-old boy at Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. They need to get things right with you today, and we pray that they might do that right now. Lord, we ask that you might help those of us who just need to get closer to you than we were when we came in. Make some very important personal decisions. Our part of this covenant agreement. And we pray you might help us to become, in a very real sense, the church at its best. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?